From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. But first, there is some breaking news. It's happened this morning and confirmed in the last one hour. It's kind of a kiss and make up between the federal government and Google. A deal of sorts between the feds and Google in that battle over the online news bill. You see, Google is set to kick in about $100 million a year to Canadian news publishers. It's a deal that has the Liberal government bending to the tech sector giant's demands after it threatened to remove news from its platform. Well, our heritage minister, yeah, the heritage minister, Saint-Ange, says the federal government has reached a deal with Google that is going to be a benefit to the news sector. She was also asked if the negotiations would help the government reach uh, any sort of deal with Facebook. What I can tell you, though, is that we stand by our own credible allegations that there was a killing of a Canadian on Canadian soil, uh, linking to uh, uh, Indian agents. This shows that uh, this uh, this legislation works, that it's equitable, uh, and now it's on Facebook to explain why they're leaving their platform to disinformation and misinformation instead of sustaining our new system and participating in our news in the in the viability of our new sector. Yeah, that's the right clip, and you know she's uh, talking about the benefits to Canadians now after a deal, but it's been a hard-fought deal, and. One would have to say that uh, nobody expected a breakdown like it actually came to be in this. A bit of a fight, to say the very least. Well, Peter Menzies is a well-known, well-respected voice on this. By the way, he made the opening remarks to the Standing Senate Committee on this, outlining the problems with the bill. He's going to join us now. Good afternoon, Peter what say you? Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, and I'm sure you're going to be a very busy man today. But, um, you know, uh, I guess the feds are patting themselves on the back over this one. I don't know. Um, was Google the biggest problem here? Uh, the legislation was the biggest problem here. Um, I would guess that they're more breathing a sigh of relief than they are patting themselves on the back because... They were looking down the barrel of a catastrophic outcome. I mean, it's already bad. Um, Bill C-18 has cost the industry at least $100 million, in my estimate. Um, And that includes after this. Um, But if if Google, if they got to this point where Google was uh, scrubbing news from its search engine, it would have been really, really catastrophic for the industry, which has already been badly hurt by this legislation. Already being badly hurt, and uh, one would argue that Canadians on the whole are badly hurt too because there is a new way that we go and look for news. You mentioned all this. You outlined it to the Senate committee. Let's go back in time. What were you trying to stress when you talked with them? Well, I appeared before the House of Commons committee and the Senate committee, and, I mean, each time I was just trying to say, like, this isn't going to end well, right? The problem is with this is that this legislation has been based on a faulty assumption. And the faulty assumption is that there's a lot of money to be made in news and that Google and Facebook were making a lot of money in news and that they needed to share that with them. Um, and they they never presented any evidence to back that up. And I mean, I looked for it. 
is open-minded in it in, in, in terms of that because you don't have to be a big defender of uh, big tech to look at it, but you also have to realize that you've got to make an argument, like where's the argument? And there wasn't one. So when you, when you base legislation on a false premise, you are going to get a bad outcome. And like, this is really bad. Like Meta is not coming back, right? Like let me, just before I get too doomy, this is a good day, right? In terms of that, the fact that they did manage to salvage something from uh, by bending to, uh, you know, by making Google happy. Um, but near as I can tell, they've probably given, they've found a way to give Google everything it wanted and they've ended up in a position which, which was basically Google's position from the start is that it was happy to put $100 million into a fund to support journalism in Canada. And the outcome of this, the government will argue this like crazy, but it is essentially that a fund is being created and $100 million will more or less at the end of the day end up getting distributed to news organizations on a per FTE basis. So... Um, the exciting part, of course, is that because they have the most FTEs in news, the CBC will be the largest single recipient of the money from this fund. Well, yes, and uh, FTEs, as it stands right now, uh, that doesn't mean that there won't be those uh, employees, the full-time employees, laid off in the future even with this. No, no, it doesn't. Like like I said, it's like it's it's better than today is better than yesterday. But in the long run, this isn't solving anything. Uh, Facebook was providing by Facebook's estimate, you know, and it's just theirs, um, but nobody really argued with it, um, that they were providing, I believe it was $220 million a year in value to news organizations by driving traffic towards them. Um, and that's gone, right? So you get $100 million bucks back from Google, who is already, and that may include, I don't know, we'll find out when the, we see the details, that may include money they've already been spending. So, I mean, best case scenario is that uh, the industry is $120 million worse off today than it was before it went down this road. And uh, that's not good because times are not very good for um, Canadian news organizations and making them worse off instead of better off is really a pretty spectacular public policy failure. Well, this is reality now. Uh, so we have this $100 million, and as you said uh, and hinted at, much of that may be already earmarked or in the process of being spent. But let's say there is a swack of money that's now available. What do we, we, the federal government, what can it do with that money? Or what would it encourage uh, Google to have happen? What is the direction it should be going in? Well, the hundred million bucks with this deal, I think it'll probably end up being, you know, uh, what, what what'll probably happen. And I'm just guessing because this is what um, Google had more or less been asking for. And I'm assuming because there's a deal that they got this, Google didn't want to have to run around and you know and make separate deals with CKNW and with the Vancouver Sun and with the Vancouver Province and with the Victoria Times colonist and and the National Observer and all that sort of stuff, and, and then end up in arbitration on all of them, that was, that was not manageable. So the, the entire industry is going to negotiate, negotiate is, is a term, is going to reach an agreement with Google um, uh, as a collective. It's sort of a single collective bargaining unit, to use that terminology, um, 
that the the everybody will be in the industry everybody in the industry will be in it everybody who wants to be in it i assume um and then they will they will come to an agreement with google which has already been the amount has already been negotiated frankly um and uh, and then they'll start dividing the money up so what you'll see, it'll look like uh, it'll look like a you know a flock of pigeons going after some breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. When somebody throws the hundred million bucks on the ground, you'll see all the uh, various members of the industry go after it. Broadcasters will get the most of it, though. I'm guessing. A big hug between the federal government and Google. I'm Bruce Claggett, by the way, in for Jill Bennett. We've been talking with Peter Menzies, senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute, about uh, this uh, this deal of sorts between the federal government and Google, one of the tech giants involved in the Online News Act, uh, well, reacting to the act that came in and basically curbs some of our abilities, you and I, our abilities to access news through, in this case, a search engine, a very popular one. Peter Menzies, $100 million, uh, we touched on this before the break, uh, is going to go mostly to the biggest uh, entities that have the most employees. You mentioned the CBC. Uh, I also think that there is great journalism in this country being done by entities that have as few as one person working for them. They're not going to see anything, are they? Uh, They might not. No. I mean, we don't really know the terms and conditions that will be settled on this, but uh, in terms of a lot of funding before, you had to have at least two full-time employees to qualify in terms of that. And if they do see something, it'll be, uh, I mean, it'll be the nature of a few thousand dollars, maybe. Um, so they'll have to, they'll have to get in there and fight with uh, everybody else in the industry to see who gets what. Um, uh, that's my best guess on what's going to happen with this. And yeah, it's, it's tough. It, uh, it's, it's a bit, this is a very difficult situation for entrepreneurs and innovators, yeah. which is very awkward at a time when the media industry really needs a lot of innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, the loss of Facebook, I think, is huge. It used to be a, a, a really accessible platform where people could launch new products and, and rel- with relative ease, uh, you know, gain a lot of eyeballs in the, the neighborhoods that they wanted to serve or the, the you know the cities particularly in smaller smaller areas and that sort of stuff and without that that's uh, going to depress innovation um you know maybe people will come up with other ideas but we still need to do a lot of work to uh, get a much more sustainable foundation for journalism organizations in this country and this and is this, where i'm uh, kind of stuck peter because i'm thinking about legacy media and as much as legacy media has been very good to me not only as an employer but also as uh, a source for everything i've needed to know over the years there is the reality that uh, a lot of smaller independents are on the cutting edge of doing something new and innovative and I don't think this is giving much of a tip of the hat to them. No, it's not. I mean, this is this is largely. I think you're you're, you're dead right there. You, this is largely going to support legacy media, and like I said, the two biggest recipients are going to be CBC and Bell Media. Um, probably Rogers will be number three. Uh, Quebec Corps, Videotron will be in there as well. None of these companies. Bell made ten billion dollars last year. I understand Bell Media division didn't, but you know. Doing news was always kind of the cost of doing business and broadcasting anyway. Um, you know, these are not companies that are that are in peril. Um, but a lot of these little, these smaller companies and little weeklies trying to innovate and survive and create new online products 
this is really difficult for them because it it just entrenches what you're doing is subsidizing the status quo. And what you really want to do, if you're going to subsidize anything, subsidize the future, not the past. Peter, in the 10 seconds or about that we have left, uh, is this good news in any sort of agreement for the other tech giant, Facebook? Uh, Facebook has left the <laughs> has left the building. Okay, <laughs> it's just, it's, they're gone. We're not going to see them again as long as Bill C eighteen uh, is uh, in existence. Fair enough. Fair enough. Thanks so much, Peter. Appreciate your time. Thanks for your interest. Good luck with things, guys. And it's Bruce Claggett in the chair for Jill. Jill's been in the chair for Simi. And my guest now is Claire Newell. As we do every week at this time, we talk about travel. And, you know, this week uh, I'm thinking a little bit more about travel because of, yeah, you know, the, the last of the plants actually died at Shea Claggett. And it's been colder on my uh, get-ups in the morning and driving through fog. Oh, my, what a time to get away, Claire. I know, Bruce, you're right. And you know what? You're not alone. And it's been really busy over the past little while because of the Black Friday deals and the Cyber Monday week that are really coming to an end. So I've been encouraging people to to take advantage of them compared to um, what we've seen since the pandemic. And you're hinting at this. Yes, you're hinting at these deals. And we're going to get to those this half hour. And you're right. They're amazing. They really are. I promise. We're also going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the preps at YVR for dealing with fog. We're going to talk about that this half hour. But I want to get to this right away. The airline ticket prices coming down 19% amid less demand. What's this all about? Oh, this is interesting. This came out by Statistics Canada just last week. So keep in mind, this is delayed information. So this is October um, 2023 numbers. But the price of air transportation, according to Stats Canada, dropped 19.4% in October of 2023 compared with October 2024. That's really good news for for consumers. Um, And it's simply because the amount of supply is starting to meet the demand. There was a huge rush after the pandemic for people to get to a beach or go and see something off their bucket list that they've wanted to or visit friends and family that they hadn't for a long time. And because there weren't as many aircraft in the air. Um, the airlines just had not ramped up fully. The prices have been really expensive. And, and to be honest, they're still quite expensive, um, but certainly getting better. And I think through 2024, Bruce, we're going to see that improve even yeah. more so. Between this and uh, the deals that we're going to talk about, it looks like we're finally getting some relief. Many of us have held off on uh, some of the travel plans because we do remember the prices, how they used to be, uh, you know, pre-pandemic. And, uh, well, we're getting closer to that, so some good news there. Uh, oh, Air Transit and Porter Airlines. This is really interesting. So they are kind of seeking closer ties, both Transat, which used to be out west, if you remember. You lived in B.C. and you remember Air Transat had holiday vacations, much like Air Canada vacations and WestJet vacations and Sunwing mm-hmm. do. Um, but they're only out of Toronto and Montreal at the moment. But Porter Airlines, as you, if you are, are following, do a lot of domestic flights. And they've just started to do some transporter into the U.S. as well as some hotspots, mainly out of Toronto. 
and uh, and Montreal, um, and they do now fly to Vancouver. And though it's not a merger, but um, they are planning a new joint venture that could allow Canadian these Canadian companies to join forces, and it will likely allow them to grab a, a larger market share. And so Porter has uh, they, they like I say they fly. Canada and some U.S. routes, transat, they really want to accelerate the expansion of their transatlantic footprint. So it's going to be interesting to, to watch because we will now have access from Vancouver to kind of tap into that market. What It'll enable these two airlines to basically coordinate routes, their schedules, their airfares across both networks. So I think for us, it offers the traveler more flight options and easier connections. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. By the way, uh, talking about U.S. airlines, uh, we've seen that uh, the Thanksgiving holiday actually came off without a hitch. I'm it touching what did you say that? <laughs> it's, it's possible. And it happened. You know, yeah, it did happen. Um, they broke all sorts of records. And what I always look at is it is a precursor to what we're going to see for our own Canadian holidays. So once that starts, probably um, peak season will run from about December the 19th right through until about January the 3rd or 4th. And this, I mean, failing weather. Weather is always the big unknown, uh, but uh, the airlines are not going to be in the position that they were last year. There were so many factors that caused the situations. It was the airports, it was the airlines oh, yeah. understaffed, there were NAVCAN, there was sh- shortage of pilots, there was tons of sickness, like loss of respiratory um, you know, diseases going around that people had to take days off. And it's just the domino effect. You add in um, the situation with Sunwing where they had pilots that were that they thought that they could bring in for, as foreign workers to fill 60 vacancies yeah. um, last year. That wasn't actually allowed by Canada. That combined with the like crazy snow that we had at YVR and right actually right across North America, um, it caused chaos. I mean, I, the I perfect I, storm, literally. It was literally the perfect storm, and I mean, all the all the airports are coming out with all sorts of press releases, and uh, even Sunwing has come out with their winter readiness um, information. Everything looks like it's improved. You know, they've got more more staff. And, and I'm not just going to say that it's going to be perfect by any stretch, Bruce. But I am going to say that I am expecting it to be better than it was Well, that year. was then. This is now. It's a That's whole right. different time. And uh, we're hoping for, uh, and I think we've got reason to hope for things being a lot better. Hey, if you're heading to Florida, uh, you're not alone. It turns no. out they've uh, set some new records here. Yeah, they just um, they they came out with their third quarter results, which is July through September. They have thirty five point one million arrivals. They're so tracking so far ahead uh, uh, on their overall annual visits record. It's amazing. And in fact, the Visit Florida came out saying, you know what, we're beating the competition. Um, travel spending in California and New York down, so three point two percent down in California and one point two percent. Uh, in New York. So they're, you know, they're all super proud of what they're doing there. But it's obviously from Canada, there's also a lot more flights. Porter Airlines alone, which is a newer carrier, mm-hmm. is flying to five different destinations in Florida from uh, from uh, Eastern Departure Gateways. So mainly uh, Toronto and Montreal, but also Ottawa. Well, a popular destination for sure for Canadians and uh, even for Canadians from this coast. But you know, the other one that's a big destination, always has been my favorite city in the world, 
Las Vegas. Is it your favorite city? Oh, it that's is. so funny. I know that. I yeah, it's so lowbrow too. No, but, it's um, not. <laughs> but you know what? It is absolutely. It, it has some of the best hotels in the world, best entertainment, best restaurants, best food. At, yeah, best food, and it's all within like a five mile stretch. And so, no, you're not alone. It's actually they're they've just actually announced that because of the demand that they're planning to build a new airport, so a second airport in addition to Harry Reid. International Airport. So that will be by, it's nearing capacity by 2030. $12 billion. $12 billion US, I know. US (laughs) dollars. Yeah. And so the Harry Reid, the airport that's in Vegas right now, has a maximum capacity of 65 million passengers. And they're saying that they're going to break that by 2030. So this investment is actually necessary because it's just booming in Vegas. Tons of sports and entertainment. And people are going. And that big dome thing. Yeah, the sphere. I mean, you too was there. I, they are there right through, I think, until the end of February or something now. But there's some big names um, that are there and tons of people are going to see it. And so it is. It's the entertainment capital, I think, of the world, I would say. I like to say that, you know, I've been there on business, too. I've uh, gone down for the Consumer Electronics Show a few times. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's not all pleasure. And I was very serious. I didn't smile once at CES. <laughs> well, my brother was just down at uh, Formula One, and I'm going down to do see a U2 concert. I know people that uh, were lucky enough to get um, Super Bowl tickets. I mean, there's just so much going on over this winter and into next spring. It's unbelievable down in Vegas. Oh, absolutely. Let's talk about uh, overseas. I, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, back, oh, it'd be back before the summer, we're talking about Venice and that day tripper fee yes, for tourism. Yeah, it's coming into fruition. It's actually starting in April of 2024. They're going to implement a surcharge on people who are only visiting for the day. So this is going to be imposed for a total of only 29 days between their peak season. So April through until mid-July during the peak hours, which are 8.30 in the morning till 4 p.m. And it's going to be waived, though. If you're coming in after those hours for dinner and spending money there, or you're going to attend a theater and spending money, as well as anyone who's like a student or workers or staying in an actual hotel and spending money to, you know, on tourism while you're there. So not everyone and not every day, um, but if you are planning to go to visit Venice, just know that you may actually have to pay to visit. And part of the thinking behind this is Venice is super crowded. Uh, oh. So I, I guess it's controlling it at times. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, maybe it makes sense. I, I don't know. Has this happened anywhere else that you know of? Oh, there's there, there's um, fees for so many things now. Uh, they're looking at um, potentially putting in a fee for cruise ship guests that are coming in, like a tax that's proposed. All of these fees are to help basically um, regulate and control, but also the money typically goes back into the infrastructure. And so that um, that's kind of the, the way we're moving forward. And we're going to see a lot more places do this. If you have seen the crowds in Venice over the summer months, particularly mm. June, July, August, you can't even get over some of the bridges. And can you imagine living there? I mean, the, yes. for sure, the <laughs> tourists, they, 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 far exceed the actual residents that are there. So walking to work or walking to go pick up your groceries, it's it's horrendous. And it's also really, really hot. What I do foresee um, moving forward, especially with climate change, is that um, times that would be have in the past been considered a, like uh, April and May or September, October that have been shoulder season. Yeah. A lot of people are looking to those types of times to go now. And it's kind of becoming another peak. 
Yeah, Bruce Claggett in for Jill. We've been talking with Claire Newell, Travel Best Bets, about some of the stories making news for travelers. And before we get to those great Cyber Monday week deals, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the fog that's been around. I've had to drive from Fog Bank to Fog Bank getting into work. How's it been at YVR, Claire? Have you heard? Yeah, uh, they're they're managing really well with it. Um, most of the the airlines can can deal with the fog really really easily. I think one of the things that um, YVR just speaking about them in general because it was a pretty disastrous holiday travel season last year. Um, mm-hmm. The air that airport specifically has made some really notable changes since last winter. And actually announced back in the spring, Bruce, that it was going to be investing in real-time weather monitoring yeah. and winter weather equipment, plus increasing de-icing fluid storage. They also have updated their protocols so that passengers aren't stuck on aircraft. You remember that? I For do. these extended periods <laughs> oh, of time where there are delays. Yeah. And so planes now have to return passengers to the gate after half an hour of taxiing. And on top of um, operational changes, there there are some updated measures in place just to improve the traveler's experience. And I encourage people to do that um, whenever that's possible. Uh, YVR and, and several other major airports across Canada have added that express security service. I'm, I'm sure you've probably heard about it, but a lot of people, until they actually use it, don't really remember. Yeah. This is where it allows air travelers to book a time to actually go through security screening and skip the regular line. And you can actually uh, register for the spot online up to 72 hours before your flight. And all you need to do is arrive at the checkpoint within 15 minutes of the time slot to go through. And it's it's a dream. I've actually seen in in use myself. I have a Nexus card. And yeah. so I have my own line um, for anyone who is part of the, um, the Trusted Traveler program, which is actually expanded now, not just to people with uh, Nexus and Global Entry, but if you're an RCMP or a Canadian police officer or Canadian military or you work in an airport or for an airline, you can go through as well. Um, but then there's the regular line, which can often be horrendous. And then there's this middle line. And it's if you've done this in advance and spent the two or three minutes to actually set up this screening. So I would encourage people to do that whenever possible. Let's talk about the deals because you still need a place to go. Uh, Riviera Maya. I love Chichen Itza. Been there a couple times. Uh, Okay, I'm going to do that. But I want to also do one that's not even on the list. First, I'm going to do the Riviera Maya because in January, this has been really popular. January 10th through until the 31st. If you can go during that window, air and seven nights in a four-star beachfront all-inclusive resort, $8.99. The taxes are $6.14. And that has to be booked by December the 2nd. It just came out this morning. Puerto Vallarta, only two dates, Bruce. April 15th or 16th, air and seven nights in a beachfront all-inclusive resort. Five ninety nine. The taxes oh, are more. The They're six twenty one. Hot off the press. Another one hot off the press, and it's been really popular. Is a seven night jewels of the Mediterranean cruise. I think a great time of the year to go. May the fourteenth. It is a seven night cruise. It comes with a fifty U.S. dollar onboard credit and free gratuities, which are like fifteen dollars U.S. per person per day. Yeah. Has to be booked by December first. Six hundred and sixty nine dollars. The taxes are two twenty nine, um, which I love. Also been really really popular. If you want to do a seven night Alaska cruise, this one has to be booked by November thirtieth. So coming up really soon. That's Only tomorrow, by the way. Yeah, I know, but I'm gonna I'm gonna share it anyway. April the twenty eighth, May fifth, 
or September 22nd, seven-night cruise, round-trip Vancouver, 50 U.S. dollar onboard credit. And again, those free gratuities, 479 the taxes of 382 in in i know in may you can barely get one night's hotel night in vancouver for that kind of money two so, other ones let's get to these uh veradero always popular with canadians yeah okay january dates january 4th through until the end of the month air and seven nights in a beachfront all-inclusive resort 695 the taxes of 480 and then the last one i have for you kind of a bucket list one it's a cruise doing Australia and the Great Barrier Reef area. So this is May the 28th. It is a 10-night cruise, round trip from Sydney, Australia. It comes with a 400 Australian dollar onboard credit, which is pretty on par to Canada, the Canadian dollar. Mm-hmm. $7.99. The taxes are $228. Again, That's these are not going to last. You incredible. You know, there are going to be a few people saying, did I hear that right? Do I hear I that right? <laughs> Go to the website, Travel Best Bets, and uh, take a look. Claire Newell, thanks so much as usual. Thanks, Bruce. Sitting in the chair for Jill Bennett, Bruce Claggett this afternoon. And we will be talking about Christmas parties and those parties being scaled back this holiday season and the reasons for that and what it really means. But that's coming up in a moment. Just want to remind you, though, you do have a chance. We've talked about so many really great stories today. You do have a chance to weigh in, of course, on the buzz line or to text us. The phone number is 604-331-2899 for the buzz line and to text us. We'll get to those buzz line and texts as soon as possible. Possible topics you may want to reach us on. Bill C-18, the online news bill and a deal between Google and the feds. Oh, and also the arrest of a suspected hitman in the assassination of that sick separatist activist in the United States and the possible connection to the Lower Mainland assassination of Hardeep Singh Nedger. Yeah, remember that in the parking lot of the Guru Nanak Sikh Temple back in June? The temple parking lot in Surrey? Again, the buzz line 604-331-2899. I was thinking about this the other day. It's been a while since I've actually attended a full staff Christmas party. They've been scaled back over the years, but more so now it turns out than ever before. Because it looks like the economy is catching up with us. Maybe some of the other priorities are a little bit higher. And unfortunately, I always have loved the staff Christmas party and think it's a great investment in your employees to actually spend the money and bring them all together. And in fact, to the point where even in job interviews, when I've met with potential employers, I've asked, hey, what do you do for a holiday Christmas party or holiday party? Just to kind of get the temperature of how they are as a company. I think it's a great question. Well, let's bring in Ian Tostenson on this one this year, because being the CEO of the BC Restaurant and Food Association, this is always a topic that's close to Ian's heart, speaking for Ian. He may correct me on this, but, uh, you know, is this year really the year that we're going to end up uh, seeing that major turn where it goes bye-bye forever? Ian, I set it up. Is it all doom and gloom? Uh, Hi, Bruce. No, it's not Grinchy. It's not Good. bad. Um, it's just weird. You know, 
Uh, listen, that's very you know very well said. Um, you know, I think the the traditional we're going to the office party at Christmas. I mean, I, when I was in the wine business, we had big Christmas parties for our staff, and um, you know, two three hundred people. But that hasn't really happened. I think, and I think the, what's happened is that um, a you know getting a venue space is kind of tough. B, you know, we're continue to be in a bit of a labor shortage. So, you know, that, that, you know, for bigger venues, that's sometimes a bit of an issue. But I think that one of the trends, Bruce, that we're seeing is, and talking to some uh, planners, is uh, people wanting to go out. They want to go out, so that's the good news. But they're tending to do, like, cocktail parties or stand-up receptions where they can move around and mingle versus just putting Bruce at a table with eight people and saying, you know, see in three hours. So we're seeing a trend. That's a trend. And and it seems to align a bit more economically for the companies that are doing that because it costs a bit less and um, you don't have to have the elaborate setup. So that seems to be the trend. Um, What we're also seeing is that during the pandemic, a lot of companies abandoned ship on the big parties because they had to. Remember, we couldn't go anywhere. And uh, and they favored gift cards, and they found a bit of a behavior change that people go, yeah, that's kind of cool. Like some people go, I like my gift card from a restaurant. I can kind of customize my experience. And so that's sort of trended on. And, you know, and I think that the third thing I'd say, Bruce, is that, yeah, there's certainly a bit of a, a damper on the economy here. So if you look at restaurant spending, is very similar to what we're talking about with Christmas parties, that people are going out. So I would say... Um, the number of people going out hasn't changed that much, but the per capita spending by people has decreased. So you and I might be inclined to go share an appetizer, have you know, a glass of wine versus let's sit down and have a full-on meal here and, and get at her for two or three hours. So we're using it differently, and we're using it because I still we still have this urge to want to go out. I think it's really important for all of us right now is that as, as much as we can to still have that socialization. I'm reminded every once in a while I've always considered myself to be an introvert, and uh, my wife laughs at that and says, no, no, Bruce, you are an extrovert. You are the epitome of an extrovert. But that being said, I do remember way back in uh, high school, the days of going to a high school dance and that kind of exciting feel that I got just beforehand. And the only thing that came close to that in adulthood was going to a Christmas party or a holiday party and celebrating and being with friends and uh, thinking, you know, there's going to be some great story to share because you get to go and talk with other people. But... Yeah, and and it always was appealing. But I also worked for great employers that would spend a whack of money, just a a whole bunch of money on a big uh, meal provided by like a downtown Vancouver hotel. And, uh, and, you know, that included the drinks and, you know, one year it even included the chocolate fountain with uh, some well-known news reporter sticking his head underneath the chocolate fountain to drink out of it in front of everyone else. No, it was not me. Um, But, uh, you know, it creates stories. It creates a bonding. But the person or the entity picking up the tab was the company. Does that even exist? And if it does exist, who's paying for these nowadays? Well, I think it's not existing to that extreme. I think that's the old way where... 
if you think back in that era, it was things were stable, interest rates were stable, you know, business was stable. Um, but we have so many things going on right now. Like, for example, um, just the, the, the shift that's occurring in certain demographics with um, people, you know, when, when you were going to those Christmas parties, you didn't have access besides probably, you know, Asian food and pizza to have it delivered to your house. Now you can have full-on gourmet meals and wine and the whole nine yards. So that That's to add a real change to it. Um, you know, the way we, we transport things uh, have had to change. We've seen companies now that are working a bit remotely and a bit in their offices. That's all changed as well, too. So all those different things have changed up the model from the old Christmas party where there's always – I think the part of the charm of the Christmas parties was the stories on Monday morning. Like, did you hear? See what yeah. Albert did at the Christmas party? <laughs> but um, and they last for years, I mean, by the just, way. Those stories, and uh, that's where it do. comes down to: you can make or break a career at a Christmas party, right? Yeah, that's so true. Um, and there's many stories of that. But I, you know, I think that's. Uh, I think I mean I talked to a couple of restaurants, and they said you know they they felt their bookings were about the same as last year, but. They're a little different. They were looking at more, like I said earlier, reception style, stand-up, cocktails, more flexibility, more customization, as opposed to, you know, we're all going to have our, you know, our, our whatever dinner at once all together, salmon. We just had the BC Restaurant Hall of Fame um, event about uh, three weeks ago, and um, it was the first time in four years we've done it. And it was really interesting. And people said they absolutely enjoyed it. It was at the Italian Cultural Center. It was a sit-down dinner. There were, there were the presentations of those that were inducted into the Hall of Fame. But people said, you know what? I really enjoyed the evening. I love celebrating people getting into the Hall of Fame. But the coolest thing was that first 90 minutes or 60 minutes that everybody had a chance to have a glass of wine and just mingle and just see each other and get caught up. And because as opposed to going to your table and like I said you're sort of there for the rest of the night so it's it's changing with the times I think it's all good change and it's also the dress that, up I mean everybody wants well, to uh, wear some good clothes and especially if you've been working uh, from home how often yeah. do you really get to put on those best clothes and style and profile well that's a very good point and the other end of that too though is that you know um, you sort of do the business casual stuff so people go, I can get dressed up, but I don't have to go out and buy a new, new clothes, new skirt, new dress, whatever. I can just kind of get dressed up. So that's kind of brought down or more casual than it was, which I think makes it more comfortable and, again, more affordable. You know, I go to a Christmas party, buy myself a new suit. That's pretty expensive. Thanks for listening to the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune in to the Jill Bennett Show live from noon till 3 on 980 CKNW. Have a question or comment? Send me an email, jill at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.